Welcome to the Truth to Power Show on Radio Free Brooklyn. I'm your host, VJR Nathan. And with us today is co-host Jessica Hines of Meditative Writing. Welcome, Jessica. Hello, hello. Thank you for having me. Thank you. So we're going to be chatting a little bit, just the two of us, until our our featured guest gets here. Um, it's only fair. It, it's yeah. quite early in the morning for, for 
yeah. most New Yorkers, I feel. Exactly, exactly. Yeah, we usually air on Mondays at 8 a.m. Uh, previously, I, you know, when I first started the show, I was doing it in a pre-record, mm-hmm. and I was uh, recording it as I was able to, and then I was just throwing it up on the side, and, and it was very, very nonchalant, but there was a lot of behind-the-scenes um, work that had to get done about editing and mm-hmm. adding information, and because um, every episode is 59 minutes, so... Um, you know, I had to kind of read. I just I did some readings for those of you interested mm-hmm. in looking up older episodes. Uh, I did some readings from uh, various influential books. Um, some things I just pulled out of my uh, my bookshelf. And I was like, let me read from this today, and you know, I did a little reading from that. And this, yeah, yeah, it's pretty good. Um, well, we've to, got Halloween coming up, so is there anything that any any special halloween shows that we're doing um i haven't planned a halloween per se but um uh we'll be doing 11 11 we'll be doing a special synchronicity episode or nice. an episode about astrology and synchronicity and the, the numerology and such for our 100th episode so it's gonna be fun um i've been promoting uh that we're reaching the 100th episode on 11 11 for a couple of episodes now so it'll be good i hope people will tune in live to that episode um, that'd be really special. Um, and then today we're going to be talking a little bit about like, like some of the, uh, quote unquote new age stuff, yeah. you know, like, um, you know, Reiki and, uh, and tarot and, uh, and similar concepts to 1111. Should we do a new yeah. agey checklist of like, like, have you like, so <laughs> yeah. have you ever had your tarot read? Yeah. That, and I also, uh-huh. I also studied tarot Okay, uh, for a little, I mean, I say a little informally and. I read tarot to others. I think it was fun. Um, I remember one time I did this tarot reading, and uh, the the some of the readers, some of the people who were receiving the reading rather, um, were feeling uncomfortable with the death card. So she tried she tried to take out the death card from the deck while you know distracting me and take out the death <laughs> card from the deck. But of course, there's many cards that you know well, yeah, have the same resonance, like the tower card. Yeah, and, like the death yeah. card too. My mom was a was a, a tar- not she wasn't professional. She but she practice tarot and runes aside from being a, a seamstress and a bow hunter uh, if that can confuse people enough um but yeah i mean the death card is not necessarily uh, inherently bad or negative card and so i always remember being that like you in order to have life and rebirth and you know you have to have death or the end of something which is not necessarily bad so how about reiki yeah, no, I haven't done Reiki though. Okay. I haven't, I've never Technically, done that. Technically, I'm a certified level one Reiki master. Oh, yeah. <laughs> uh, I did do that online more just to see like what would be involved with it, but I did receive my certificate. So, oh, cool. Um, as long as you haven't had alcohol in your system in the past uh, 24 hours, yeah. I could do Reiki on you. Um, oh, cool. Let's see what else on right. the new age scale. How are you with crystals? Um. Okay. Mm hmm. Awesome. So, I'll, give me one second. I'm just quickly. Um, you, you continue talking. Tell us. Absolutely. Little, tell me more about crystals. <laughs> uh, I think just well, as a as a woman of a certain age, I think that you know you are required if you're in if you're a woman of a certain age in New York City, uh, you eventually have to start going upstate and going to yoga retreats, and eventually you see enough crystals that you get curious about them. Um. I don't personally use tons of crystals. I think they are pretty. Uh, but, you know, yeah, crystals are, uh, like I said, you know, they're they're beautiful. They're nice. And I think that if people find value in them, that's great. 
Um, but yeah, no, I'm more straight up meditation when it comes to, you know, most new age stuff. Uh, that's always going to be my spine, if you will. Hence the whole meditative writing thing. So I believe that we have everyone in the room now. Yes, and yes. You guys have suffered through my <laughs> strange dialogue around crystals, which is like the thing I know the least about. Thanks for that. We, we couldn't have talked more about my my you know exploitation of Reiki. No, yeah. we had to go into crystals. Hi, welcome. Hi. 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 Oh wait, let me get you uh, on. Okay, good, good. This is Paula Guerrero. Hi, Guerrero. good morning. Guerrero, <laughs> Guerrero, 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 Paul Guerrero. Guerrero. G U E R R E R O. Thank you. Thank you. Guerrero. She is a certified Reiki practitioner and a master teacher, shamanic sh- sh- ceremonialist, ceremonialist, uh, tarot reader, and certified yoga instructor, trained in the social, emotional learning and feeling uh, acronym is SELF. As a wellness um, mindfulness practitioner, she's a lifelong student of esoteric studies, blending her intuitive gifts with arcane knowledge to uh, facilitate multidimensional alchemical healing. She can be found at uh, Lola.bodega or at Firebird Healing Arts in Brooklyn, New York. Welcome, welcome. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you, thank you. Thank you for saving this. We were floundering. (laughs) Uh, I'm sure you guys weren't. (laughs) Um, So yeah, let's start the conversation off a little bit about tarot and about your uh, um, interest in uh, healing and and uh, specifically, I think, goddess uh, work you do. Yes. Yeah. Let's tell us a little bit about that. Yeah. Um, well, it began, I was 12 years old. I walked into a Barnes and Noble um, and there was just a bunch of interesting cards and books. And I was always drawn to the imagery of tarot. Um, and there was also a, a store in Forest Hills called Pastimes, which no longer exists. But it's your typical woo-woo new age crystal shop and it'll have the jingling uh, bells and there's always someone really serene behind the counter yeah. and they're like you know take your time look at these crystals <laughs> yeah. kind of that experience um, and it was really welcoming um, growing up in Jamaica it was very it was very rough and tumble you know the, the avenue there was a lot of violence and crime and so it, was, it felt like an oasis or a sanctuary for me yeah and it was really soothing to look at the imagery and I kind of hid it from my family because I'm like, I don't want them to think I'm a weirdo. Take me away or something like that. Um, so I just started buying books and reading about Aliester Crowley. And so I kind of went down the left hand path. Um, and at that time, Doreen Virtue was pretty big and angel cards. So I, I kind of told my mom, I was like, Mom, it's cool. This is these are about angels. You like angels, right? <laughs> like super grew up super Catholic. Um, so just to clarify, but the left hand path, you know, I hear that in terms of like the darker path, you mean like, or yeah. you mean like kind of like the more negative path? Wouldn't that be well, like, with, more, isn't it associated with like kind of negativity or something? It or? is associated with yeah. negativity. It's also more about delving into your personal power as opposed to power for the collective. Oh, wow, So the wow. left hand path kind of reminds you like, hey, uh, basically one of the basic tenets is do without wilt shall be the whole of the law. And some mm. people think that means to say, I'm going to do whatever I want because that's mm. my will. But do what you will really means like if you do something, understand that it comes back upon you. It's nobody else's fault. You can't blame God. You can't blame source. You can't blame um, whichever entity or deity that you're invoking for this. Mm. You are fully responsible for this. So be really sure what you're doing. Um, and for some people, it's just like, well, you know, it's demonic. It's like, well, what's your intention behind that? Everything is about intention. And as long as you it's like a, it's like an alarm clock. If you don't set it, 
then you're not going to wake up at a certain time. So it's the best to set an intention. And the left-hand path kind of teaches you like, hey, why don't you set this intention so you can manifest the things that you would like to manifest, whether it be personal power, whether it be love, you name it. Yeah, so fascinating because like, uh, you know, a lot of times with Tantra and Tantric um, uh, pads, you know, they talk a little bit left and right and, and being like, you know how they, they, they usually, usually I've been exposed to it as like the, the correct interpretation as opposed to like mm-hmm. the, the wrong or the, the, the horrible experience. It's really interesting to hear your, your take on that. And, uh, and what influence is like the imagination and like how, cause you know, I think that there's always, at least in me, there's a struggle between the meat and potatoes, real world kind mm-hmm. of stuff. And, and the more, um, you know, uh, allowing our intuitions and imagination to go free in Rome and, and, and what way did that, did you experience that uh, tension? Well, for me, there's an expression that I don't know where I picked it up. I think it was in Spanish. It's like one hand washes the other and both hands wash the face. So you get to figure out how you delve into that. Um, for me, it was just about personal empowerment. Mm-hmm. Um, and I really think that sometimes we relegate things like, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to say a prayer and like, hopefully, you know, God, you know, take care of this. And it's really great to incorporate those aspects to your spirituality but you have to kind of set it and just kind of forget it you can't obsess about certain things you have to just trust that things are going to take care of itself but the way i see magic and the way i see um anything is basically you have to do the work you can't put a spell out there you can't (laughs) decide like hey i did a a new moon or a full moon ritual and like all right i'm just gonna lean back and wait for the love of my life to break into my house it doesn't really work that way break your house no i mean if you don't go out and and, you know intermingle with people and get to know and network and be like well the love of my life is going to deliver a package to me like really Mm -hmm. i don't know what are the odds of that yeah well i think i mean that's something that i'm interested in as someone who you know i've 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 played in this world you know i grew up with you know at parties my mom was the one doing tarot and rune cards okay And, you know, I'm big on, you know, meditation, but also neuroscience as like a way of balancing my own understanding of things. And I feel like I feel I get really annoyed and it's hard sometimes to talk about it because there is a a material commercialization Mm -hmm. and a false use, I think, of a lot of wonderful things that gets misinterpreted so that when you go somewhere and you're like, oh, like you know, Reiki or, or meditation, you know, people automatically think at first they would just think woo woo up until about Mm. 10 years ago. Mm -hmm. And now they think, Oh, scam. Yeah. And that's something that, and yes, there are people out there that are just, that are using it in ways, you know, it's a tool. Correct. You know what I mean? I'm like, I tell people all the time, I'm like, tarot cards aren't magic. Mm -hmm. Like they're, uh, my mom always told me, she was like, they were, they're simply a symbolic way of getting to the truth. Or for her, when she was reading people, she was like, it's really just getting them to look and the way that they react to what the card is allows her intuition to be able to understand what's going on for them emotionally. Mm. And that, you know, that's more of like what her interpretation of using the cards was, is to just to help them understand what's going on for themselves and and give them an option that might be effective for moving forward in their life. And, you know, you seem to be so know so much more than me that like what is your response i'm sure you get people who are like give you that face when you say like oh did this is this and they're like oh <laughs> right yeah. yeah um well in my experience i'm not telling you something you don't already know mm. so a lot of the time it's 
something that's a subconscious and innate knowing and an inkling and they're I'm confirming something that's already in your in your mind or in your heart. Um, I use it as a tool for personal development. I use it as a tool for insightful um, know-how. Um, some people come to me and they're like, I don't really know what to do, you know, with my life. And it's like, well, do you have a, like a basic idea? Like, is there, I can't tell you like, Hey, tomorrow you should just quit it all and move to Hollywood and become an actor. Like that's, if that's what you want to do, great. But have you taken the steps for that? Mm -hmm. Can't just wake up one day and be like, I'm going to stop being a janitor. I'm going to sing on Broadway. Well, have you sang before? Yeah. You know, um, I don't want to fill people with a sense, a false sense of hope. Um, I don't ever want to walk, have people walk away from a reading feeling like more confused than when they walked in. Yeah. Yeah. But I feel like a lot of times in our lives, and I think you might agree that we have promises to ourselves. We we make intentions, we mm-hmm. set intentions, we uh, throw out a rope to some goal. And then we're kind of like just in the current of life. We're just forgetting about those intentions, we're forgetting about those, uh, those promises that we make. And then uh, I think the role of an intuitionist or uh, someone who we go to is to kind of, hey, remind you, go back and right. retrieve that rope that you threw out. Correct. And trying to, trying to pull it towards yourself so that then you can empower yourself. Um, one of the phrases you said, go back and retrieve it, mm-hmm. kind of came up in your pre-interview stuff. So why don't you tell us a little bit about that and about how, how does that resonate with you and how does uh, retrieving something, what does that really mean to you? Or Well, that's um, that's a Ghanaian adinkra, which is called Sankofa. Mm-hmm. Sankofa is the image of a bird kind of reaching back towards the rest of its body. And what that means is anything that might have worked in the past can still work today because there's lasting power in those things. Um, so anything new age is not technically new. Mm. Everything in new age is something that has been studied before. Right now we're, we're re- rediscovering it. We're redeveloping it. And there are certain things like indigenous peoples and how they interact with society and community at large and, and living in harmony with nature. Like we are returning to that as a collective, like veganism is a vegetarianism, like Burger King selling the impossible burger might be a marketing ploy, but they understand that people really want to do better on earth. They want to kind of commune with the earth in a way that is more harmonious. Mm. Like we don't have to eat our animal brothers and sisters. However, I, I do enjoy a burger every once in a while, so I'm not going <laughs> to, I'm yeah. not going to fake the funk. Um, but I really do think that it's it's about taking a look back in order to move forward. It's kind of like an archer. You can only pull the arrow. You have to pull the arrow back for it to go further. So, you know, the the ancestors or the, or the people that came before you have done the work. Let's re-explore that. Let's open that back up. How can we apply it? Yeah. Well, one of, one of the meta tools I use for my writers is uh, if they're struggling with something, whether it's structure or procrastination or or vulnerability in their writing uh you know i always just ask them i'm like what's something like what is it that you're best at like what is it where you're just like i know this inside and Mm -hmm. out and they'll be like oh well i'm an i'm a trained actor or i know i've been playing piano since i was three or whatever and i'm just like okay well if you're playing the piano what would this problem be for the piano and they'd be like da 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 and i'd be like well then what would you do to overcome that and then they'll be like oh i do this 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 and i'm like okay well now translate that back into the writing wow what is that in writing and it's it's becomes much easier because i'm like i don't need to teach them an entirely new set of tools all i need to do is as long as they have one thing that they feel very confident that they've been practicing for over 10 years then i can just like it's just me asking them the question of being like you know this you know the answer to this like go back to your training because especially when it comes to creativity, um, 
you know, piano is not actually that different on the artistic creative side from writing a screenplay. It's just that it comes, that creativity comes out in a different format. Okay. But the things that get most people's ways are the process of it is the psychology of sitting down and doing the work. Yes. That is usually where people struggle more actually than like, Oh, what to do in act two. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I think also the artist path is about being vulnerable and being trusting Mm -hmm. and, you know, kind of opening yourself up to the possibilities and, and that's something that intuitive work we're, you know, always kind of amplifying and we're trying to think about, you know, how can we kind of um, be more trusting and be more and practicing that trust. So um, tell us a little bit more about like the how that plays in or how you're able to facilitate maybe because, you know, these kinds of encounters you have, I think, you know, I get the sense that you know, people are coming into these. Like I, I found discovered you through this uh, bar. Where they're like, oh, tarot Mondays. <laughs> and, you know, it's kind of it's kind of. um marketed as like, oh, just come to a bar and just get your shower red. And I don't imagine, I can't imagine that these people are, are, are kind of coming in and in that five or 10 minutes you have with them, they're able to like really, I mean, how, how do you facilitate them to be receptive and, and vulnerable and, and try to be listening and That's a that. good question. Yeah, you know? I try yeah. not to get the ones that are too, uh, too far gone or yeah. too drunk, you know, because yeah. it, it messes with your aura. Yeah. And, you know, a lot of cloudiness can come in. Yeah. Um, but for the most part, I... I create the container. I set myself aside. I, I don't sit right at the bar. I give them mm. 15 minutes. 15 minutes is enough time to kind of really delve into a couple of topics without getting too deep. Um, I open, you know, I shuffle the cars. I ask them, you know, to set their intention. You know, I call in their guides. And in that small amount of time, we're able to connect because they actually are like, okay, I got 15 minutes. The clock is on. We're doing this. So yeah. they're focused. They're totally yeah, yeah. I- immersed in it. Um, and it's right after like their little happy hour special. <laughs> so they're kind of just like, all right, I have a little, it's, it's the social lubricant, you know, like, yeah. oh, okay, I can listen to a little, a little bit of something that's not my norm, mm-hmm. which is, which is helpful. Um, but you don't necessarily need it. I've had people that have gone to come see me and they didn't have anything to drink at the bar. They're just mm. at the bar. Like, are you here yet? Are you here? Are you <laughs> <laughs> um, so it's, it's about really just engaging and building trust as soon as you walk in the door and letting them know, Hey, I see you. And a lot of people feel like they're not being seen. And it's, you know, we're, we're in a city of what, like 8 million people. <laughs> and it's really hard to just even keep eye contact with anyone on the train because for the most part, we're pretending we don't see <laughs> the people sitting in front of us. Yeah. So I think it's allowing them to know that they're being seen and what they are worried about is of concern to me because thank you for sitting across from me and, and honoring me with your energy. So it's a lot of like, just being open, uh, especially in a city that people try to close themselves off, which I find really interesting. Yeah, I was in Connecticut for a film festival a, couple, uh, a week and a half ago, and every person that passed by was like, oh, hi, hello. And yeah. it took me about <laughs> 12 hours to be like, oh, yeah, like New York's like the only place or like the big cities are the only places where you're just like shields up (laughs) you know like visor down like i do not see you scanning Mm -hmm. scanning like danger danger and it was just so i mean it's lovely for a weekend uh but there was a little bit of anxiety and i think it's interesting that i've gotten to the point now i've been in new york for 18 years where it actually gave me a little bit of anxiety to think, oh, God, I have to smile at every person that walks by or else I'm the jerk. Right. Yeah. And there is this sort of com- like I have lived in my apartment for six years. I have not met the person whose door is three inches from my front door, wow. mostly because they slam their door a lot. And I need to hate them. Like yeah. I'm like because familiarity robs me of my ability to hate them. 
Yeah. And the, but it's, it's true. It's like, I love the idea of, I mean, and sometimes in my classes, I feel that when people walk in and I've had that comment before where someone was just like, there's something in your eyes mm-hmm. that just mm. makes it okay mm-hmm. to yeah. like be who I am. And right. I'm like, yeah, Creating I was, that space safe. That's a that safe space, that container that like, Hey, um, I know it's tough and I know you're having a hard time. Why don't you set down some of this luggage so we can unpack it together? And, yeah. yeah. And I think it's also like, when you see eyes that you like, you know, you're like, oh, there's absolutely no judgment. I mm-hmm. think that's the thing that really is most effective for people that everyone else is walking around and it's judgment, judgment or like on guard. And when you actually look into someone's eyes and you can tell that you're like, wow, there's nothing I could say right now that would make them think less of me. It mm. really does change the way that someone's entire body and energy and, and mind is it, it can really open up someone's mindset that's been very closed for a while right so um i also want to ask you a little bit more about your own background and where did you where were you born and where did you grow up and 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 whether or not you're and and how you're raising because you were saying you're hinting a little bit at this in your previous things about how uh maybe your parents weren't as receptive to this Mm -hmm. but i'm curious about getting a little little more fleshed out picture of that yeah well i i was born and raised in jamaica queens Um, Uh my parents are originally from columbia okay there's a very catholic uh streak in our family but there's always that one offhand aunt that's like i'm a medium or (laughs) (laughs) which she actually is a medium so my my dad i guess in the 80s and the 90s like our parent my parents used to go to like santeria parties and so they would so a santeria party is basically the saint's birthday and they would buy the saint a cake and they would throw a party and everyone would celebrate and someone would invoke the the spirit and the spirit would give everyone a, a message and that's kind of the stuff I grew up on. Mm. Um, but then at some point, my parents, like, they parted ways and my mom did more Catholicism and my dad was just more agnostic. It was just like, I don't know what I believe. But I do remember seeing, like, Santa Barbara candles in the bathroom and, like, us lighting, like, frankincense and myrrh on the weekends when we we're going to clean. And kind of that magic dissipated in my life. And I, and I felt like I've been trying to look for it for so long. And... I didn't have anyone to kind of lean on to and say, hey, can you teach me this or can you teach me that? Because it was very mm. hush hush. Um, what I do know is that I started probably when I was about 20 years old, uh, going with one of my really great friends up to the Bronx to see this transgendered reader. And she was just very like outlandish and was just like, listen, I can read your cards for you. And and she had told me, you know, this is your path. And when you're ready, it'll it'll come to your life. And I'm like, what? I don't know. Whatever. And so I had my own cards and my own set of beliefs, but I didn't want to share it because I didn't want to be judged, right? Like people, I, you know, the, the craft was a movie that was really big <laughs> when I was younger, yes. yeah. and it's either you're you're the dark one or you're the really light one that is afraid of their power. And I really felt like I was afraid of my own power, and that was really interesting for a while because I have mm. aunts that are very judgmental, for mm. lack of a better term, and. You know, it's just about forging yourself and and like forging yourself through iron or through whatever needs to happen and standing up for yourself. And I I think really just saying, hey, you know what? Like, whatever you think of me is not my business. It's not my problem. Mm. Yeah, I'm a big fan of, well, one of the mantras that I first teach some of my writers is there shall be no fucks given. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Just because I'm like, yeah, I was just like, what other people think of me is not my business. Right. And you know, I, it's harder now with the interwebs because, you know, I'll send out an e-blast 
And I swear to God, I spell one word wrong in that thing. People and just, I get just 15 people be like, how, the grammar dare police? <laughs> how dare you call yourself a writer? Why would I ever take a class with someone who spells opportunity wrong? And I'm like, mm-hmm. first of all, it's, I'm a screenwriter. Like spelling mm-hmm. has nothing to do with any of the things mm-hmm. that I do. Second of all, I'm dyslexic. Like, <laughs> Right. Like mind your all, business, stay in your lane. Right. Yeah. Third of all, like Tim Ferriss, second page of Tim Ferriss's book. There's a spelling error on it. And if all of those editors and he couldn't get it, like then, you know, as an eagle eyed person, I'm just like, I'm, I, I just sit there and I'm like, this says more about them than it says about me. And I'm like, how sad must that, that person's life right. be? How sad must your life be? And if you are one of those people who've done this recently, then you need to look in and be like, whoa, what's going on with me mm-hmm. that I feel the need to lash out at a complete stranger about something as small as like grammar or spelling or you know something that if you are trolling in any capacity like it is a cry for help it's like your Mm. kneecaps are bleeding you (laughs) need to pay attention and so i do feel bad for those people yeah i think that um you know it's so so wrong when we have like you know people think they they have this righteousness you know Mm. they they have this idea of righteousness in their mind and when you direct it in these kind of petty ways it's such a waste of that energy and it's totally. such a dissipation of that, uh, of that, you know, possibilities. Instead, we should be, you know, working towards building with our communities and we should be working towards, you know, creating a larger communities. It's interesting to me, like, I think about, you know, the, the conflict between staying in your lane and also the conflict of larger conflicts. You know, when we think about structures, power structures, and we think about, you know, all the different, you know, instead of, hitting our brothers and sisters, we should be looking at the underlying structures that are keeping us prison and how we can do that and whether or not the conflict between just keeping our role, but also playing to a larger role of like society and culture. And, and what do you think of, what what are your thoughts on like, how can we both stay in our lane, but also thinking largely of the bigger picture? How can we kind of expand our possibilities? You know, I think of getting out of this, um, celebrity culture and like faux guru worship yeah we we want to exalt people that mm. you know essentially go to the bathroom just like you do and yeah. have the same struggles that you do the same anxieties that you do um and there's this exaltation of people that are putting themselves out there mm. you know and showing their work and for the most part we're you know for the most part we're human you know yeah. reptiles aside um but i really think it's it's our society really loves to build people up and then tear them down and then mm. just say like, yeah, I took so-and-so down. And there's just yeah. like honor and disrespecting someone else's process. Yeah. Um, and I think we, if we led with more compassion, you know, as, as woo woo as that sounds yeah. and understanding that everybody has their struggles, like the person that lashed out at you is mm-hmm. probably miserable. Yeah. Oh, well, no, that's, that's, it started as me like lashing back out at them in my mind. And then I did a, I did to drag you down yeah, to that level. I, yeah. I did. And then I did a little meditation though, where I, 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 I spent 20 minutes imagining what it must be like to be that person. And I imagine this is like a 45 year old woman who, uh, is not in the best marriage and her kids have gone and right. she's not, you know, and I just realized like she's got too much time on her hand and she's been writing and she hasn't felt like she's been successful. And so when she sees someone else trip, she is like, what the heck? I don't trip. I spell everything well. Cause I imagine she's great at grammar right. and that she sees someone else's imperfection and sees that as an affront of like, well, how come I'm not doing as good as that person when clearly they're messing up and right. not looking at you know her own. And then, and then it's easy for me to calm down because I'm like, 
if that's what she needed today, if that was because mm. I believe that everyone is doing their best right. yeah. um, and that from even the, the science that I study, I'm like, everyone is really doing their best. Right. And I'm like, if that is her best today, then I'm going to send her like compassion mm-hmm. and and love because clearly she needs it more than I need it right now. Yeah. And I think that it's a, you know, getting and if you to me, like a lot of people do struggle with compassion for themselves or others. But it really is a practice of curiosity, because Mm -hmm. if you ask enough questions about anyone on this earth, eventually you will find enough to go, oh, I don't agree with what they've done or how they act. But I understand that if I were that person in that situation going through that, I understand that I might do those things as well, even if I don't agree with them. And so I think that curiosity and compassion are just so inherently linked. Um. And I just, you know, wish more people, I invite more people to practice it, like purposefully every single day, find one person that drives you nuts and ask enough questions of them, either in your mind or in person until you find that place where you're like, oh, okay, like don't agree still, but I understand. Yeah. And we definitely pave roads um, for others when we take that perspective, when we take Mm -hmm. on the place of curiosity over judgment, when we take on, when we uh, model or we take on the idea that. You know, I can, you know, if someone says something that we need, we don't need to engage them on that level. We can just say, okay, I, li- I heard you. Mm-hmm. I, I see you. I hear you. And I acknowledge, I, I appreciate what you have to say, but not feeding into them either. Okay. Some people you know, live find, for the yeah, conflict. Yeah, yeah. Some people yeah. like the back and forth. It, yeah. it gives the, it fuels them. Yeah. So as you're being depleted yeah. um, by going back and forth, they're like, I'm empowered because yeah. I chopped mm-hmm. this person at the knees. And it's like, mm-hmm. really? But what, how does, so you do it to somebody else and the yeah. pattern repeats. Yeah. But often that person's had that done to them so many times. So they think that's the norm yeah. or, well, or the, when um, I have some friends who they, they understand love as fighting, like because mm-hmm. they grew up with fighting in their home and that was how they were introduced to, Oh, we care about each other. So we fight for each other, which turns into we fight with each other. And, you know, I can see that there are people who love to debate and I'm like, clearly something when you were younger, like you were rewarded in some way, for this like attacking back and forth or this like I can get the most out of them, which is something I did not grow up with. Like I am not a conflict person. I do not enjoy heated debate. I enjoy discussions. Correct. I do not enjoy debates, um, mm. especially with, when I have not agreed to be part of the debate. <laughs> mm. um, but I do think it really does come from, I mean, the only reason we do anything is because at some point in time when we were younger, we did it and we got, validated by it and dopamine released in our brain <clears throat> and now our brain is like "Ooh, we like to do those things you know yeah like i wrote a poem in class and i got validated more than i ever have in school ever now i'm like i i'm just chasing chasing that dopamine high from when i was 12 years old yeah. so for people when they fight and when they tear you down or something i'm just like who taught you that you know and it's like i want to go back in time and i'm like talk to like little seven-year-old you yeah. who, you know, got validated for cutting some other kid down at some point in time or had parents that pitted their children against each other mm. in hopes I know that it would always, drive them forward. I know we always like to reduce, uh, I mean, some some extent there may be still a lot of truth to the, the idea that oh, everything's connected to, to childhood or everything's connected to some uh, essential trauma or something like that. It's, it's, it's kind of, but in, at the same time, it's kind of reductive in my way because in my perspective, because I think that what we have to do, though, is understand how we create those stories about and how those stories live on in ourselves and and whether or not we're um, in this present moment, we're connected to those stories. The stories that we're connected may not be 
real or they may be real. They may not be real. Mm-hmm. They're just the ways in which we tell ourselves what, what, where, or what connection we have to the past, past karmic connection. We have to some story that we told ourselves before and how that lives on, how we're able to, but at the same time, honoring and trusting the feelings that we have now and giving a vessel for that to be able to break through to new yeah. experiences. Well, I think yeah. the key here is, I mean, in all of my studies, it's like it all goes back to usually something in the first 12 years of life and yeah. then, or something traumatic that happened later on yeah. or something big. And then, yes, we tell the story and the story keeps it alive. So, mm. like, you know, we can't go back and change time. You know, we can do timeline therapies, but it doesn't actually, you know, but we can change the story that we tell ourselves about that thing. I could choose to tell myself a different story about being a young poet. I don't want to because I still want to write. And so I want to keep that story alive. But I can definitely go back and change the story that, you know, I tell myself about abandonment, you know, from my childhood and and those stories. So just trauma in childhood does not, you know, directly. It's not like you're not going to be affected by every single little trauma, but the traumas that you choose to tell a story about and keep that present in your current life. Those are the st- the stories and the traumas that you will continue to act out in yeah. in one way or another. And a lot of this yeah. is learned behavior. It's not just your childhood. It, it could be, you know, you had a bad relationship yep. in college and mm-hmm. someone taught you that being spiteful is the easiest way or the fastest way to be on top mm-hmm. or to gain your power or to or, protect yourself. Right. Yeah. And and a lot of that is PTSD disguised as something else. You know, mm-hmm. I'm not I'm not a psychologist by any stretch of the imagination, but a lot of the traumas cause us to act in certain ways and and it creates a barrier between ourselves and others. And I think our work is really about how do we connect to people whether it be through story, whether it be through tarot, whether it be through meditation, um how do you react to people's judgment? Um you know, cuz initially you're just like, well, who the f do you think you are, mm-hmm. you know? Um, when they, where people are attacking you personally for an opinion that you had, the opinion yeah. I'm not attached to the opinion. Mm. I'm not attached to this construct, but mm. you know, it's it's just an act of being like, okay, we're gonna agree to disagree. Yeah, and I guess that's my Libra <laughs> Moon kind of vibe. Like, yeah, yeah, no, it's not my monkey, not my circus. You know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So I just want to give you an opportunity to tell us a little bit about some of the uh, uh, tower card moments of your life and how. You're able to kind of create these, you know, for those of you listening, the tower card is like, tell us, first of all, why don't you tell us what the tower card is? Um, and then we can go into some of those moments in your life and how they, they perhaps resolved or how you're able to tr- give you lessons. And you can go into that. Yeah. Tell great. us a little bit about um, that. Thanks. Uh, well, tarot for me. Okay. So the tarot cards, uh, there's 78 cards. Um, they're divided into two sections, the major arcana and the minor arcana. There are 22 major arcana cards. Um, and they're all archetypes uh, of, I guess, people's interactions. You know, the, it has the classic, the devil card, the tower card, empress, emperor, the fool, the magician. And so it just, it starts building from there. It's also linked to the Kabbalah tree. Yeah. So there's 22 paths on the Kabbalah tree and there's 10 sephiroths or 10 places, 10 spheres. Um, and that can get really deep and really uh-huh. heady really quickly. Yeah. Um, but just to summarize, the the minor arcana are broken down by suits. So kind of like playing cards. So uh, the hearts are the cups. Um, the wands are the clubs. The diamonds are the pentacles. And the staffs are the clubs are the, the, the wands, so to speak. Um, and for me, I guess seeing the tarot cards and, and looking at them in a way that, hey, you know, what does this mean? So I, I had I was in a really terrible relationship with someone and my instinct was just like, girl, 
let it go. Um, but I didn't. And so I was just kind of resistant. No, I feel like he's the one and there's so many things and, and we have things in common. And I did a card reading for myself and it was like tower, devil, <laughs> seven of swords. Oh. And I was like, okay, well, you know, maybe somebody's doing black magic to me. No, girl, you're just not. Is there a Lizzo it. car? That's yeah. just- <laughs> Get it together. <laughs> and so, um, and I kind of kept just hitting the snooze on that. And something just igs you in your, in your in your stomach, in my solar plexus. And it's just like, this isn't right. This isn't right. Something's off. Something's off. Something's off. Um, I ended up breaking up with this person. And then I said like a silent prayer. Like, if I'm meant to be with this person, like, let me know. And I'm sure God was like up there rolling their eyes. Like, come on, man. Like, really? All right. I got something for you. And so I found out I was pregnant. Um, and I was like, bingo, that's the one thing that I thought that would kind of bring us back together. But this person was not interested in, in maintaining that kind of relationship because they were already in and out. Uh-huh. It was already kind of an in and out energy. And he was like, no, I think we should terminate. And I, you know, at the time, I wasn't like, I was like, I'm not a 16 year old runaway. Like, I'm not going to undergo this kind of physical thing. I want, I want to do this. And turned his back on me and it was a lot of things, but I'm, I'm responsible for myself. So I did attempt to go full term. And then one day a woman comes to my job and tells me that she was his office manager and that she had been carrying on an affair and she knew all about me. And it was just this like really tangled web. And like my guides have already been telling me this for a while. The cards have been telling me this for a while. And, you know, there's nothing worse than refusing to see what's already there. So it brought so much stress upon me that I, I miscarried and I had to have a stillbirth. So and I think that's like such a tower moment for me because it's like I'm trying to maintain something that is crumbling, like the foundation is whack. You know, there's no architect to be found. The engineer is <laughs> gone. And essentially that shouldn't have been built to the extent that it was. So it was shaky foundation to begin with. So I think taking that pause and listening to yourself and delving into your great within and asking yourself, hey, is this the right person for me? Mm. And sometimes what you want isn't necessarily what you need. Um, so it, that that was a big moment for me to be like, don't play yourself anymore. Like, it's really dangerous. You could have died. A lot of people could have gotten hurt. Yeah. And it's not really worth it because your ego wanted this person. Mm. You know, I was tied up in the fact that he was an attorney and he was really good looking. Good on paper. Yeah. yeah. Very like, dangerous. Everything's great on paper. Let me guess. He was charming. He was very charming. Uh-huh. Yeah. Always be yeah. the charming yeah. one. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and, you know, I don't yeah. want to delve deep into the <laughs> narcissist empath connection, but that's a real construct. <laughs> yeah. You know, you find yourself being open like, oh, my God, oh. I'm going to refill your cup. And he's like, yes, give it all to me. Yeah. You know, so mm-hmm. it's it's one of those moments of like, take a step, take a pause. Like, why do you like this person? What is it? What does it mean to you? that you're kind of putting what you want on pause because you want to honor, you're supposedly honoring this relationship, but you're not honoring yourself. Yeah, it makes so, me think a little bit about how, like, our, trusting our intuition, it makes me remind myself about how, you know, we have those instincts, we have those responses organically in the moment. Mm-hmm. We're really, uh, when we're really alive to the moment, we have those organic responses that the, vo- the not only the voices that are, but honestly, our true voice speaks and then we second guess ourselves when we're out of the moment, right? You know, when we're safe, so to speak, we're like second guessing ourselves. We're like, no, I want, I, you know, this is the thread that I picked up before that I want this, I want that. But we're not really seeing what's in front of our face, you know. And right. I think that's that's definitely resonates with me in that story, and and tells me and reminds our listeners and ourselves that we need to kind of be present in the moment and right. organically listening to our our heartbeat, if you will, mm-hmm. you know, our, our well, responses. Yeah. yeah. I think the, the window that we look out of is like, 
the the dirt on that window is very is very specifically placed depending upon what it is that we actually want mm, right right that yeah. it's like if we're looking out a window and it's just like whatever like when you want something so bad like there'll just be a smudge that's covering on the window so it's you know you can kind of see it but you're like you're like and and i just think it's so hard to be like just clean the window right you know just wipe the window down because when you want something so bad and i find that I do that the worst when I've already put so much time into something because uh, the human mind's desire to avoid loss is the most motivating chemical reaction in the brain. And so like, you know, I, if you put eight years into a relationship, whether it's a job or it's a person or anything like your brain is just sitting there being like, don't, don't you tell me I just wasted the past eight years of my life. Uh It's not thinking about everything you've learned and the growth and everything that you can take with you. It's just saying, no, no, no. Like, let's just put, We're let's preventing. just, let's just put some decals up on this window. Let's put a little tree over here so that we just <laughs> can't quite. Yeah. To the point where it's like you create this little pinhole. Yeah. yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. And you can feel when you're in that pinhole yeah. tunnel and you're just like, and, and that's a place where, you know, I, it's probably the hardest place I think I've ever, it's to a place where I would start damaging myself and i what i tell people is like when your unconscious is lighting fires everywhere and your conscious is putting them out like Mm. you need to realize that there is a conflict inside of you and usually it's because you want something so bad that your heart and your body knows is not actually right for you right yeah right also i would say that uh you know when we when we get to the point where we're able to see in art seeing literature seeing the things we're reading see the the healing places though we can get the opportunity where you know we can kind of uh, use these kind of we can kind of go to a positivity lens and and try to find what we're looking for out there, you know, in the arts and such, and 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 always see the connections and such. So they can they can also be flipped, you know. In other words, we, on the one hand, I think Jessica was talking a little bit about how you know we see all the always you know the signs always seem to point mm-hmm. to the negative, and then when we when we flip our perspective and we see the positive and where our intentionality is to go towards healing then everything becomes part of that healing process and such. Mm -hmm. And I know you'd mentioned the red tent as being one of the uh, books that um, was really part of that healing process. So tell us, tell us a little bit about red tent and how that uh, I heard of the book, but I don't know too much about it. Well, it's basically about the daughters uh, of Abraham Mm -hmm. um, and the wives that they become Um, the story of Rachel basically she had a lot of trouble conceiving and saw that her sisters around her and she was, supposedly the most beautiful one out of her sisters and the perceived ugly sister was the one that was most fertile and gave birth to all these boys and the lineage started getting stronger. But the, the red tent is really about the reclamation of feminine uh, menstruation and women bleeding together and sharing secrets together and understanding that. Um, and fertility has been an issue for a long time, you know, since the dawn of time, like the Venus of Willendorf was really an idol that is supposed to encourage fertility, that is supposed to encourage the full figured, like we're going to have a baby. So even goddess lore before the Bible existed was, was based and centered around fertility because without women, we're not going to have any people. Well, well, I mean, before, <laughs> if we go way, way back, right, when the prefrontal cortex was creating, you know, and, and we, there, you know, it was just like nomadic people. We mm-hmm. didn't really have objects other than like oh a stick to dig things with right (laughs) and it's just like there wasn't much other than just like hey you know birthing and having kids and getting food and water and like living and and laughing together and crying together and so you know obviously birth like that is everything 
Right. That is everything. Right. Yeah. It's absolutely everything that, you know, they strive for as a society. And after I suffered the stillbirth, I was kind of in this self-destructive mode, like emotionally contortionist, you know, emotional contortionist kind of thing. Like, I don't know if I fit here and I'm trying mm-hmm. to fit into these spaces. And so a friend recommended this book. It's like, oh, have you read The Red Tent? And I picked it up and like, it was so amazing and it was exactly what I needed. And it's like, you're not alone. You're definitely not the first or the last person to have endured this, unfortunately, but know that other people know where you've been and you can get out of that. Uh-huh. And I clutched that book to my chest and like mm. I sobbed. Yeah. And I sobbed and sobbed. And it was just like, thank you. Like, I just, I'm grateful that things like that exist, that communities uh, for women exist. So, you know, the Red Tent Society, I believe that's something that exists out in California, but I'm not sure if there's one here. I just think the idea of accepting where we are in the various stages of our lives, whether it is coming into our femininity, whether it's being a, a mother, you know, it's the uh, the maiden mother crone kind of idea, mm-hmm. uh, or if you're perimenopausal or postmenopausal, and then, or if even if you never got to have children, or even if you're you identify as a woman but you aren't anatomically feminine, right, mm-hmm. or a female, there's still points of your life of like, wow, I'm my emotions and my physiolog- like physiological makeup matters and let's let's join together let's 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 support each other because yeah. there was a scene that there was a woman on birthing bricks and she's giving birth basically standing up being held up by her by her people so it really does take a village to even have a child mm. so that for me was really important to remember the sense of community and that's why i like doing community work and community outreach so yeah. you know i'll do like Reiki for marginalized communities up in the Bronx. And and for me, it's it's like letting people know that you're there. Mm-hmm. And that book reminded me like, hey, build your community, even if you don't have like four or five sisters. Find your sisters. Your sisters yeah. are out there. Or even if you do like me, but you're not close to them. So you <laughs> like my, my tribe is still more my family sometimes yeah. than my, my family family out in California. But I think on that note, too, because I think what you said is so important, and, and if anyone ever hearing this is going through a darker moment, mm-hmm. you know, in their life, just just remembering that, you know, this too in time shall pass. Because yeah. there, are, I go through very deep depressions. You know, I'm very open about being bipolar, um, and luckily, it's a lighter form that I can, if I do the good work, don't need medication for. Um, but there are so many times where I feel like this is never going to get better. Right. And like, yeah. and like everything in my body, my mind is telling me like, this is going to go on forever. But I've been through the darkness so much that I'm just sitting there and I'm like, no, because I know in like three weeks, I'm going to like see a butterfly or some shit and just be so happy <laughs> to be alive. And then I'm going to get another gig and it's going to be fine. Right. But I have to just keep telling myself like, I know, like I know this actually will end, even though it fe- nothing in my body is telling me that it will. And so that's just something I, like to put out into the world that, yeah. that yeah. if you're feeling that you're not alone no. and yeah. it will get better it absolutely will yeah um i just wanted to say about what you were um discussing what we we're discussing is is reclaiming our story mm-hmm. you know and how and claiming our story and making sure that it doesn't get and you were saying in your pre-interview questions so i want to give you sure. a chance to tell us a little bit or expand on this uh telling us a little bit about how um you mentioned about how it can be weaponized or yeah. so, like, and how people can sometimes use these stories against us. For sure. I think that's definitely a, a real truth that I think is underappreciated. So I'll let you tell us a little bit more, expand a little bit more on that and what you think about that. Thank you. Um, I actually, it reminds me of uh, that eight mile with uh, um, Eminem mm-hmm. and the fact that he was just like, okay, 
like I think it was one of the last few scenes where he's having a battle and he's describing, you know, I'm poor, I'm broke, I'm from the wrong side of the tracks, I'm a white guy in, in this black society. And it's kind of like, let me give you, so I took that idea and it's like, let me give you everything that people have tried to use against me and arm myself with the truth, mm. right? So what I mean by weaponize is like, if I would have hid that from myself and kind of made it a family secret, like, oh, you know, she got pregnant and she lost the baby and like, you know, we don't talk about that. No, I'm out here like, hey, do you have any questions for me about this thing that could have ruined me? Because the powers that be would not want you to get back up. They want you to be like, hey, I'm going to be depressed and I'm going to go do this. And fine, you have a space for depression. You have a space for, you know, there was a point that I was drinking way too much. I would drink like those liter bottles of like Frontera, $9 bottles. And I was just, I wanted to be inside the bottle. And that's not what I was, that's not what I'm supposed to be doing. Mm. And I feel like reclaiming your story, talking about the things that hurt you is really its own form of therapy because other people may connect or they might not. But I don't want someone to say like, hey, yeah, she did this and she almost lost her mind. And I don't want you, I want to get in front of the narrative. Mm. I want to be able to tell the story from firsthand. I don't want someone to to speak behind my back or gossip on it. And I would just clarify for the listeners, guys, you know, but therapy, therapy, sometimes people think about in terms of privacy. Right. But what we're doing, I think what you're doing is you're making your quote unquote private struggle mm-hmm. a public because it shows a, a beacon to all to right. be able to understand that, listen, the person is political and that we're yep. here, we're telling our stories because this is important for our society to understand that we all go through this. Yes. And this is not a, this is not anything that is... Um, uh, what's the word like unique to me, mm-hmm. but it's actually a, a sociological truth that so many people experience these these struggles of, of, of mental illness, of of you know of lost pregnancies, all these things, all these different things that we experience. I've experienced all this kind of thing. Um, you know that when we reclaim the I, the I becomes the we. You know, right. it becomes the collective we, and that we're like we're going through this, and and our brothers and sisters are all going through this, and we're all collectively empowering ourselves. Yeah, Absolutely. I, I applaud that. I applaud that. And that's you. a great note. Uh, I'm just going to do a quick couple of announcements. We have a few more minutes, but um, Ready for Brooklyn is a 501c3 nonprofit organization whose mission is to provide a free and open platform to our community and, um, you know, promote media, media literacy and, uh, and free expression. We rely primarily on donations to listeners like you. So to help support our mission, we invite you to make a one-time donation, a monthly pledge at readyforbrooklyn.org slash donate. You can also go to readyforbrooklyn.org slash truth to power. To sponsor this particular show, just click on the sponsor the show link. Uh, every cent helps us continue to stay on air. So please support independent community media by pledging whatever you can afford. All contributions are tax deductible to full extent of law. You can also donate to Radio for Brooklyn when you shop on Amazon by going to Amazon Smile, radioforbrooklyn.org slash smile to set up your um, uh, Smile account with, with Radio for Brooklyn. If you're listening on your um, computer, you can free yourself up by listening on your iPhone. Um, or Android by going to their respective play stores. Uh, go to radiofilkin.org slash newsletter to keep up to date with our happenings. One of the happening you might be kept, you might have kept, been kept up to date with, um, is the Radio Brooklyn Fall Music Festival, which is happening on 1027, uh, five to midnight. Um, Radio Brooklyn is excited to present its first ever fall musical, um, festival on October 27th. Come enjoy seven hours of live music, food, an array of local vendors at East Williamsburg venue, Sunnyvale, which is located at 1031 Grand Street. Attendees will enjoy performances at Bad Citizen, 
from Bad Citizen, uh, ZR King, Terminal Fury, King Ty- Tyrant, and uh, Holy Vulture and King to Burn. We'd, lis- uh, we'd love our listeners to join us. The inaugural festival. For more information on RCP, go to RadioFulcan.org slash uh, FallFest. Um, also, finally, uh, Me Bottle, uh, like an important uh, sponsor, RadioFulcan sponsor. After more than a year of dreaming, researching, experimenting, late-night conference calls, and early Saturday morning meetings, the Me team is happy and proud to present to you the Me Bottle, this double-insulated, reusable stainless steel bottle that disinfects water in 60-second cycles, utilizing UVC LED technology, and is 99.99% effective against E. coli. A single charge via micro-USB lasts up to 30 days, and the bright LED display lets you know when water is ready to drink. Join us in bringing clean water to all. Raise your bottle and drink to you and me. Find out more at mebottle.com. Uh, thank you. And also, I just wanted to give a quick shout-out to Phoebe Blue, who I played the uh, opening track from. Uh, I listened to her play at a recent uh, Halloween performance. So uh, I uh, played the opening track from her. Uh, we've got two or three more minutes, so we'll do some last calls. And if you want people to follow you, I think I mentioned your Instagram, but you can give another shout-out to it. Uh, you can follow me on Instagram at Lola.Bodega, B-O-D-E-G-A. Uh, yeah, just check me out. Cool, cool. And uh, do you still do the Mondays at uh, that, that Mystic place? Mystic Mondays? Mystic Mondays? Yeah, yeah we, we do, do Mystic Mondays time, yeah. uh, at Katina Kumbansha. Yeah. Uh, we're North 12th in uh, Williamsburg, Brooklyn, right across yeah. from McCarran Park. Definitely check us out Mondays. It's twice a month. Uh, but I think the holidays are approaching, so there might yeah. be like a holiday market coming up. But yeah. you definitely follow me on Lola.Bodega. Uh, I'll let you know what my offerings are. I'm also doing readings at Firebird Healing Arts in Greenpoint, Brooklyn. And uh, Jessica, you want to give a shout out to anything? Um, uh, Well, anyone who's interested in the writing of things, I have come go to meditativewriting.org or follow me on Instagram at meditative underscore writing. And if anyone out there is going to be at the Austin Film Festival or the Napa Valley Film Festival, please come find me and say hello. Thank you. Thank you. And also... um, just since we have like about a minute to go, I'll tell you, uh, you can go to VJRNathan.com. You can find out about my own poetry books, V-I-J-A-Y-R Nathan. Uh, I've published Escape from Samsara and Celebrity Sadhana, uh, two poetry collections. Uh, the first being about just kind of visions from my own life and uh, dreams and, and thoughts I've had and this kind of thing. And the second book being kind of a meditative, satirical look at celebrity culture and examining our fascination with celebrities and such and looking at all the different aspects of uh, how when they get meditative, how we look at that in the fishbowl, meditation in the fishbowl, if you will. So I'm still exploring that series, which will have its second book coming out, I think uh, in a couple of years or a year or so. I'm not sure exactly when it's going to be. I don't know what the timeline is going to be, but hopefully soon. So thank you so much. Um, thank you so much to all of you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. So we have about uh, 10 more seconds. Thank you. Thank you. I'm going to check out the meditative writing because I got to move some stuff. <laughs>